Thank you for tuning in to the Levant X podcast. This is the political segment and I am Sophie. Today, we're going to be discussing a lot of different things. Now, um, in the last two episodes, we had a chat with Sam Al-Khoudi. He discussed with us, you know, um, how he found himself on the streets and now he's found him himself in a whole different position where he didn't expect to be. Uh, our second podcast, we chatted to Paula Naufal. She highlighted fake news, um, how consumers are consuming the media and content, not being able to tell the difference between the two. And um, this virality and spread of fake news is really becoming detrimental to journalists as a whole. Um, now, today we're going to be talking to Mwain Jabe. There are so many things that have happened in Lebanon um, since October 17, 2019, nearly a year ago now. Um, and the latest is the blast of the port that took place on August 4th. We were supposed to have a government since then, and uh, the president of France played a large uh, hand in this. Um, and the person who was designated as the prime minister has now stepped down. France has now been considered um, a failed mission, and we're all waiting to see uh, how the table's going to turn in the country. Now, Moeen, I wouldn't say is um, a, a political player. I wouldn't call him anything but an average Lebanese citizen whose life was changed on October 17, 2019. And since then, uh, the roles that he's found himself playing have been quite interesting. So, Moeen, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, So, Big fan of your work. Um, it's... Um, Platforms like yours that, you know, speak to expats. As you know, a lot of people can't really seem to get the right amount of information purely based on the fact that our TV channels and all sources of traditional media are either mouthpieces for politicians or either subject to the highest bidder. So platforms like yours, platforms like Serde After Dinner, which is the podcast that I'm on, where not long ago we just got Mia Khalifi, who has been instrumental in... Uh, and shedding a light on the struggles of the uh, of the Lebanese after the August 4th uh, blast especially are just a, a great tool to communicate to these people that have felt so marginalized by uh, by Lebanese traditional media outlets. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure um, because I do know how busy you are. You've got your fingers in so many different pies. You're going to highlight all of these pies to us today. Um, but I, I want to have a real chat with you because I just think there's so many different things that are not being spoken about. As you said, maybe people are scared. Maybe people don't have the right uh, platform to voice um, or they're being, uh, sub, uh, sub, they're being pushed down or suppressed. Um, so, Moeen, since we do have this platform, let's talk truth, you know, let's talk reality here. Um, why did you go down to the streets on October 17, Absolutely. 2019? What was your objective when you went down? And what have you found yourself doing since? That's a great question. Um, well, I went down for different reasons than a lot of people went down. I went down because the, the country that I was living in was not basically abiding by the same levels of life that I want, I want to have. Um, the country is like the Wild West. The laws are just suggestions. Um, it's a kill or get killed, or rather a law of the strongest. You know, um, if someone has some sort of political backing, they are immune to any, to, to the long arm of the law. And 
I think it's also important to note that I went down for different reasons than other people went down. Some people went down to, I don't know, secure food on the table. Others went down to protest the fact that um, university uh, tuition fees are becoming higher and higher. Each one has their own struggle. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the October 17th revolution. It basically grouped a lot of people that had different kind of narratives as to why they're going down and basically pushed them against the establishment. What's also very important to note about October 17, and I'm sure you've discussed this before, the entire sectarian charade that was gluing basically these warlords to their partisans completely collapsed. Um, the first few people that actually took to the streets were Muslim Shia. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that Muslim Shias are a monolith. They think that Muslim Shias either subscribe to the Hezbollah ideology or the Harakat uh, Amal ideology. And when these people went down, they transcended that and they were like, enough is enough. Sectarianism does not have a price on food, does not have a price on, on thirst. On we just want to live in dignity. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, I just, uh, you, you, you mentioned one thing and it really got my head turning. As you said to me, I don't really want to be considered living uh, in the wild, wild west, you know, or with a bunch of outlaws or a mafia-led go government or militias or all over the place. Now, Absolutely. between all you and I, yeah, but between you and I, Moeen, um, don't you feel that every government in itself is maybe disguised in its own way, you know, maybe some just look a little bit more pretty than others, you know, ours just seems to be gary. And if we want to, we want to call our government not transparent. However, they're extremely transparent because they can't get away with anything anymore. Like we, we know what they're doing. However, I Absolutely. feel you've got Western governments going about, you know, they're still doing their backroom talks they're, and the population don't even question them. Absolutely. Well, I think that was a, um, a truth. I mean, the population didn't question them until uh, they started. I think there's an entire wave of critical thinking that kind of took over the world by storm and which manifested itself with all the multiple revolutions that started happening throughout the world. You know, that level of disdain and distrust from the people was felt because you have this level of critical thinking that just sprung out and started saying, no more bullshit. We want actual facts. We're not going to be like the younger generation where we either shut up or we're, or we're traumatized by a previous war. Because make no mistake, the status quo in Lebanon has been like this because of the older generation that had the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder of the civil war. Any single kind of movement towards uh, opposing the status quo, which led to the actual demise of the entire Lebanese economy, they would, I mean, my parents or, or elders, if you will, would tell me, no, 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 it's, the, you know, the way Lebanese politics right now is, is, is structured, it's just perfect, it's representative, there's a national unity that is taking place, please, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, that was the mentality for the longest time, but the whole concept of national unity being, uh, having the Sunni sect represented, the Shia sect, the Christian Maronite, and what have you, was basically on the charade. You know, it was the opium of the population that basically tried to subdue us by claiming that these leaders represent, in fact, the political, the religious sects that they follow. But in the end, that wasn't the truth. The truth of the no, matter is all of them are absolute criminals and yes. they're killers. Well, they don't necessarily yeah. respect, it was all just represent, let's say, the, uh, the religious sect as per se. They, they, they say, we are here. We are from you. You, no one can speak for you. Only we Absolutely. can. 
No one knows what's going on in your lives. We do. Keep us in power. And so um, maybe it goes back. There there is some form of level here where, yes, you know, religious uh, leaders have this power over the people, especially the ones that necessarily uh, that are illiterate, you know, and they they go to the mosque and they're told what to think and they're told how to think. Um, However, it seems to now have such a huge hand in politics, as you just said, in Lebanon that, I mean, uh, pre- the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, was said this just a couple of days ago, that the whole problem is the way that uh, ex-prime minister Saad Hariri put together the Ta'if Accord and created this national unity government. Now, how do you dismantle that? Absolutely. I think, you know, going back to these uh, these war-mongering tactics, these, sorry, fear-mongering tactics that were propagated by the... Uh, by the heads of state to their respected populations. Another um, you know, kind of narrative that they spewed would be that of, oh, listen, if you don't vote for me, you know, um, your voice on the political table will not be represented. Your entire community's voice will be eradicated. So please keep on voting for me. So that fear-mongering tactic, that fear of the other narrative is the one that kind of put them in place and that consolidated them with their base. But now, with the advent of information, with the fact that everyone knows what's what's happening around, even with uh, the traditional media outlets trying to shy away from the truth, the truth is out there. And what what happened was we basically found ourselves with our pants down and with a crumbling economy and with the same people that were warlords before just simply traded in their military garb for uh, suits suit. and ties and did even more damage than before. You know, it, it, it's crazy. You're telling me how Emmanuel Macron uh, came and spoke. Emmanuel Macron will always remain a mentor to Lebanon, but... He's not exactly he the chosen, savior. He's not, well, he's not the savior and you can't really blame people for... You know, when he came down to Jamezi and people started touching him like a saint. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. It was absurd. And this kind of just showed the level of desperation of the Lebanese people by trying to seek refuge in a foreign government as opposed to their very own government. So you can't blame them. But Macron, unfortunately, played one more time with the political establishment that we have demonized as an entire population. He has chosen the wrong side to play with. And even, even though he extended a lifetime, a lifetime, not once, but twice. And we knew as a population, this is not the right way to go. You are going to be cheated the same way we were cheated. And he just went along with it. And he got screwed over. I mean, he was, he was left, I'm not going to say ridiculed, but disappointed. And it was a hard pill to swallow for him. Unfortunately, it was a, it was a pill that we swallowed a long time ago. But I do believe that Upon his second return, hopefully there will be new faces um, that, you know, are going to be represented of the Lebanese population, people that see governance as a noble, um, as a noble vocation, as opposed to a way to make more and more money. Well, see, this is what I was just going to say to you. You just said to me, you know, he, he came over here and he worked with the same side, you know, he chose the wrong side to work with. However, did he, he didn't really have a choice. There was no other side. Like we, we've been we've, we've been sitting in a revolution for a year, and everyone. I, I mean, I, I was there. I went to the street. Um, I, I've witnessed it. Uh, we've all been gassed. You know, I I, I could go on for, for days and discuss what's happened. However, the point being is, 
it did happen. Nothing's happened since, Maureen. So even, even, even though he did come and you did have the desperation from the streets and the people were saying, someone save us from what we have found ourselves in. However, they need to save themselves. That's a different discussion. Mm. But the discussion is, if they are to save themselves, who's the going to help them? Who the opposition? Like, what side is this guy supposed to be talking? Who are they going to talk to, Moine? And and this is going on for too long. And maybe, and I do know there are there are political parties that have sprung up. I do know um, a few people that are close friends of mine that might be playing underwater and saying, you know, uh, but no one's coming out. No one is coming out. When are they going to come out? Are they going to come out just when the elections are announced and what, a month before? How is anyone going to trust them? Know their credibility? No, I mean, what's the game okay. they're trying to play? Are they playing a slow game? Because currently everything's moving exponentially fast. That Do they even have time to catch up? You know, that's a very, very valid point that you proved. I think a lot of the frustration that is being felt is uh, Lebanese people just trying to look left, right, and center to see if there is a different option for people to vote for. Um, just to answer the first part of the question, which is Macron, Macron didn't have to give them a lifeline. Macron didn't have to re-legitimize them within uh, you know, one visit or two visits. This is what he did. Um, I understand that there isn't a, a valid option right now, and there won't be until the elections, because if you look back, every single politician in Lebanon or every single aspiring politician in Lebanon that voiced their opposition was either chased out of the country, intimidated into silence, or worse than killed. You know, we remember all the 2015 assassinations, the 2006 assassination. It, 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 it was a domino effect that kind of eradicated all forms of opposition. So someone coming up as a thought leader, as the head of an opposition, as, you know, the, the personification of the thought, which is, I think, uh, a bit shallow to think, is basically offering his head on a silver platter, and that won't happen. What is happening is you have a lot of alternative political parties like Mintishreen, like Lihaqi, like Muatino Muatinat, like Taqaddum, that are political parties that were created as a result of these big traditional institutionalized um, parties that basically took Lebanon to the rubble. And I guarantee you they ha there's a lot of talks, there's a lot of coalitions that are being made to be able to create some sort of resistance or some sort of opposition when the um, elections, when the parliamentary elections come so that we will, able to, we will be able to secure a certain amount of seats that will not only be a stone in their shoe, but will actually make some change or not make some damage, but make some change. So I understand the, uh, the, the frustration. I think it's, it's a very long game. Now, what people fail to, to realize is that in the October, during the October 17 revolution, um, people were really caught in the ecstasy of the moment. You know, people were like, wow, all means all. We're actually going to enact change and we expect this change to happen now yeah. in, a very, in a very millennial fashion. No, I'm kidding. I'm a millennial myself. I, I, I hate when people personify as, as, as impatient people. No, but uh, I understand the frustration. People thought that the revolution was going to be like the, the Libyan revolution. You know, where you had one person that you could scapegoat all of your anger towards, and look what happened. Now in Libya, you have modern slavery, or we can we can direct uh, all of the aggression in Egypt, and a military rule uh, usurped its place. What's very special about Lebanon is, although they preach different narratives, uh, they preach this fear mongering narrative of the 
fear of the other. When push comes to shove, when they have their backs against the wall, they deal with themselves and they uh, uh, revalidate each other. So you can't just remove one person. We have a hydra that personifies Lebanese politics and you have to kill it from its root. And its root is people's minds. Um, although the October 17 revolution, it's still ongoing. I mean, we're gonna reach the one year anniversary very soon, within a few weeks. Um, what's important to know is you have this cultural and intellectual revolution that really changed the narrative and made people speak up more and more. And that I think is the, the biggest takeaway. Um, yeah, but don't you, you think they've all, they've all sort of masked themselves recently? What do you mean? In a sense that, yes, there was this, as you, you mentioned it, there was this fire, there was this drive, there was this passion, there was this patriotism. I mean, even in your podcast with Mia Khalifa, she said, uh, I was inspired by what I saw. I, I never expected this, you know, and, and living here, I, I felt even closer to a country that I haven't felt close to for years and years and years. So yes, there was that. Yes, there is this desire to make it happen now. However, everyone isn't um, uh, deluded to the reality that it's not going to happen now. You've got people who've had their claws in their chairs for over 30 years. <clears throat> it's not going to be easy to uproot them from where they are. However, not at all. Not however, at all. Um, if you're going to be mentioning things like uh, maybe they're scared to come out because, you know, there has been these assassinations and, you know, they are threatened. And well, not, they're not what? scared to come out. They just don't want to offer themselves on silver platter. Definitely. I agree uh, with you. I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You know, um, I'm a journalist at the end of the day. I'm going to play. I, I'm, I'm biased, but I'm going to poke you where it hurts. But um, why, can't, why, can't, <laughs> why can't the Lebanese diaspora have a hand in this per se and be able to open these channels from outside of the country? Um, and then the players that are here to do the groundwork and when obviously you would say it's, it's fair to come out from underground, um, they make their realization. However, the, the credibility of the organization, the credibility of the party, the, the story, the whole thing has been built on from the outside and even though it, it, well, from inside, outside, but using the outside to come back inside, that's sort of my point here. Uh, mm. I, is this not possible? Uh, and, and again, uh, last point, sorry. When I had a chat with Sam um, and I had a chat with Paula, both of them, Sam said to me, you know, we can't even get NGOs to sit at a table because of the egos. And Paula and Alpha said, yeah, we don't even have a coalition of NGOs. You don't know who's working with who. I mean, if, 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 the, if we're on that level where we're trying to, create, to give relief and we can't even sit at the table, how is this opposition even going to be born? Well, I, I think that's a bit of a bleak uh, outlook. Um, I don't. I, I really do think that right now, for the first time ever, there is the concept of statesmen, and Lebanon has really uh, come forward. You didn't have that before. These people, these warlords, are not statesmen. They are uh, in it to make a quick buck. And now, the certain level of patriotism, whether you're an expat or within Lebanon, has really come to fruition and has consolidated the fact that people are willing to raise the Lebanese flag more than their political parties out of necessity. Uh, this is not some holier-than-now realization. You know, no, it's out of necessity. So that's what we're working for us. Although I, I, I understand the frustration, and although the expats have a huge um, pull and have huge influence, and we, we need them as much as, as, as we can, the real struggle is for people that have been so indoctrinated for the longest time 
in Lebanon to kind of pull them out of their um, environment, to pull them out of the, their toxic environment. What's important to note, so, is during the October 17 revolution, it was a very kind of open, inviting environment. And after a while, we re-engaged in basically partisan behavior that you see in politics. Oh, if you're with a political party or you were with a political party, you are not one of us. Or um, if you uh, represent this sect, you are one of them. So we started engaging in the same dynamics. And I think it's important to realize that these people that were not very active, that were either um, politicized or extremely politicized, these people have grown up in such an environment where their parents must be... Um, politicized, they must be part of the political party, their friends must be part of the political party. So for them to remove themselves completely out of that environment and join the quote-unquote Torah is basically them dismissing their entire society. And when they come to the Torah, when they come to the side of the Torah, it's not as if we're going to welcome with open arms. No, we're not. We're going to say, why didn't you come in anytime sooner? Because that's the right way to go. So we shouldn't kind of neglect these people are kind of held hostage on an emotional level and in a lot of cases on an economic level um, from, from leaving their political parties. And that's why we feel like we're at a stalemate and that's not the case. I really do believe, and I've seen you know, just crazy, crazy shit. And I've been inspired by so many people. We, there is an entire political movement that is shaping in the country that is unprecedented, unprecedented. Um, out of necessity, out of vocation, and out of statesmanlike behavior. And I think what we need to do, similar to what the experts have done, is lobby, lobby, lobby. What we have is the buzzer, let's say. Whenever someone comes along that we don't like, we just press the buzzer and, uh, the buzzer and we express our, our, our disdain and dislike of whatever policy is being done. This is what they've been doing, and we have been very successful at it. I think one of the... Uh, one of the uh, sorry, um, results of that kind of behavior is Mustafa Adib, the, uh, the, the one-month-long prime minister, which came, which was parachuted to us uh, by the political establishment because, thanks to Macron, you know, not because of Macron, thanks to Macron. And what he did by stepping down, even if he was nominated by, uh, by uh, the Shia duo, which is Harkat Amal and Hezbollah, he, dis he said that he was not able to form a, a government. And so this legitimized the fact that he wasn't, Hezbollah, he wasn't being able to, to form a government that he wanted. That he wanted, which, which yes. is a government of independent uh, uh, intellectual uh, specialists that have the uh, goodwill of the country as a mandate. No, they, they hijacked the entire uh, Shia sect, okay, because as you know, the... Um, the, the, a lot of ministers have to be, uh, uh, sorry, the, the head of parliament has to be Muslim Shia and what have you. They hijacked the entire uh, speech, uh, they, they hijacked the entire narrative to exert their influence and to be able to capitalize and preserve their interests, which obviously are not aligned with the country's interests. This is obvious and I'm, I, it's an honorable thing for him to do. It shows that the Shia camp, okay, which was a monolith or which people consider it to be a monolith for the longest time. You know, if you're Shia, you're either with Hezeb or with Harakat Amal, which is bullshit. No, we're not a monolith. Um, it consolidated the fact that, no, you do have a lot of free Shia thinkers that are willing to put the country uh, forth. So 
And this, make no mistake, has weakened their base, has weakened every single political, traditional political party's base because it's not in the open anymore. They're not even trying to hide it. You were saying that in, you know, in the States or in other first world countries, they don't hide it. That's true, but in, in other countries, you have the rule of law that is exerted to its fullest extent. You know, you have sometimes huge lawsuits that are that are done, the people versus X person or that. We don't have that, you know, and we shouldn't be surprised anymore. There's something called the philosophy of the cancer patient. I, I, I love to use that metaphor. It's, you know, every single time um, a government does something, we go up in arms. And the philosophy says, you have a cancer patient that is on his deathbed. He's going to die. Everyone knows he's going to die. His mother knows he's going to die. His wife knows he's going to die. And they're all just waiting silently. Okay, They're all just waiting for like a miracle. But when he dies, they go all up in arms. They go crazy. Oh, my son has died. Oh, my, my boyfriend has died or my husband has died. But you knew that he was going to die. And this is the exact metaphor for the Lebanese government. We know these people are criminals. We know these people are killers. And then when they shoot at us with live ammunition, in broad daylight, for protesting for the right to live in dignity, we also get up in arms. No, I think there's just this realization that is enforced more and more that we are really being ruled by killers and by people that will stop at nothing to preserve themselves, even if it means take the country down to the ground. But the antithesis to this is a huge and beautiful movement uh, that is cultural, that is political, that is intrinsic within our bones that took place since October 17, that has evolved from just being pressure on the street to actual political thought and political discussion, whether it's on a big table of uh, political parties that are out of the traditional realm or within houses. And that, I think, is the biggest takeaway. Um, what remains to be seen is the political elections that will take place next year. I think by that time, we will have a robust opposition. We will have you know, something to say and something to prove. Well, Moeen, uh, some amazing words. Uh, and <laughs> it's honestly quite inspirational to hear you still talk like this now. That's why I want to end this discussion. Um, since you do have the mic and usually you're behind the mic, so the mic's in your hands now. All of those 30-somethings, me being one of them, as you said yourself, we keep asking ourselves the question of, do we say, do we go, do we stay, do we go? If I'm going, if I leave, am I a traitor? If I stay, am I stupid? So to yeah. all of these people that are asking them these questions, what hope can you bring to them? What hope can uh, the organizations you're affiliated with or associated with or just working with bring? and do they stay or do they go? Um, you know, I think that's a, it's a very interesting question. Again, I ask myself that question every day. Um, for those that leave, I think it's unfair for them to try to justify why they left. I completely understand them. And if they want to live a life of dignity somewhere else, then please, by all means, go ahead. For those that are still wrestling with the question, for me, I'm not going to speak on behalf of everybody, but for me, I gave myself kind of you know, a good year or two. You know, I, I'm already in too deep, as you can see. <laughs> I'm very active, I'm very vocal. And that, that's, that's the truth. I'm giving myself until, until the parliamentary elections, trying to do everything within my power to be able to change the narrative and to be able to create some sort of opposition against this ghoulish octopus you call the political establishment. Um, 
I think it's important to also, even though you, you know you have so many things that are happening, you have an economic collapse, you have the pandemic, you have uh, relatives leaving, you have friends that are leaving. I think it's important to stay within like-minded people that remain hopeful. I think it's very courageous, not stupid, courageous to remain hopeful um, in the face of everything. For, for me, the reason why I still remain hopeful is because I'm surrounded by people, members of Mintishreen, who have been kind of my um, saving grace, if you will, uh, during the October 17 revolution, after the 4th uh, of August blast. And we support each other. And with that support, we're able to kind of push ourselves forward. Um, you know, the August 4th trauma is, is, is a very difficult one. And no one's trauma is more important uh, than the other. Obviously, you have degrees of damage. You know, some people lost houses, some people lost friends, others lost children, and um, and some people like like I um, didn't really lose much about material things. But my trauma is still as valid as others. You know, and some people try to sweep that under the rug, try to say, oh, you know, I'm gonna brush it off. Look at so and so, or look at this person or that person. They have it worse, but that's not the case. I think it's very important for us to preserve our mental health and for us to kind of work towards creating a, a I'm not going to say a positive environment because it has a negative connotation. I think anyone who stays very positive all the time is either on Prozac or a fucking idiot. Um, but just try to make some time for yourself. Um, try to, you know, enjoy life again. Um, I know sometimes it's very difficult. I think it's important sometimes to give to, to put aside your phone, to put aside, um, you know, this crazy influx of information and prioritize um, yourself. Um, this is, I think, the most important thing. And to just try to keep as healthy as an environment as you can, whether it's socially, uh, diet-wise or electronic-wise. And I think patience is the most important weapon that we have, patience, honesty, and perseverance. Um, I think you have it in spades. I try to live up to it myself. Um, I have a lot of people to thank for the strength that I have. And I really wish the utmost uh, strength and bravery for those that are listening in because it's one thing to, to be part of, of what's, ha what's happening in Beirut. And it's another to feel that they're on the sidelines as expats. And I can guarantee you that you are not on the sidelines, that you are giving us with every single uh, show of support, whether it's a like, a retweet, uh, sending boxes, sending containers, sending a full fucking plane of supplies. You are our lifeline and we have only you to thank. So. Noreen, thank you very much. Those words nearly brought me to tears and we uh, don't know what to say, but yes, all of you out there <laughs> don't listening. Cry, I'll start crying. <laughs> no, all of you uh, that are listening that are Lebanese and you do feel marginalized, I hope uh, what uh, Moin just said, you know, gives you some hope, uh, makes you feel better and at least you know we it's a long fight we all know that um so let's just keep striving forward Moin, thank you very much for joining us today thank you so much so and for thank all you. of you Take listening care. you can find everything on our website you can go to our social media channels and that is levant x on instagram it's levant underscore x so again thank you to Moin. thank you to all of you listening and uh, have a good evening bye 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 guys